Today I will be reading two different readings, so from Genesis 12, 1 to the start of 4, and also from John 3, 1 to 17, but we'll start in Genesis. So Genesis 1, 12, 1, sorry. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who I bless you and will curse who, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. A lot went with him. <clears throat> now John 3, 1 to 17. John 3, 1. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one who can do these signs that you do apart do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is when everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very well, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, that you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Wes is referred to uh, kind of the beginning of our sermon series, and, and this week is our, our first week with Lent. And our sermon series is titled Shaped and Called, and so that's a bit of what we're looking at is how are we shaped, how are we called, and so some of the questions that we're going to be looking at from today through Easter would be uh, what does it mean? to be made in the image of the holy God who created us? What does it mean to be called by Jesus? What does it mean to be reshaped into the image that this son of God who lived, died, and reigns 
So that, that's kind of an overall view of, of the next number of weeks. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at the concept of being shaped by rebirth. So for everything that Corey read in John 3, uh, there's a lot in those 17 verses, an enormous amount. The focus of those today is going to be verse 3 and verse 5. Being born again, a, a new start, a fresh beginning. What does that mean? And so three questions that I want to look at for today with, within that would be, first of all, why do we need to be reborn? Second of all, how are we to be reborn? And third, what does rebirth look like? Before I go into those, I want to introduce you to a baseball player. And one of the things that I know you're going to have to put up with me, there's sports, there's math that I bring here um, based on my past. And so people have kidded me about it and like, yeah, that's what you're going to get um, at times. Uh, R.A. Dickey, and it's initials, R.A. Dickey, was a major league baseball pitcher from 2001 to 2017. He grew up, played high school baseball in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and then attended University of Tennessee, played baseball there, and was eventually drafted by Texas Rangers in 1996. Made his way up through the minor leagues from 96 until 2001. And then in 2001, pitched four games for the Rangers that year. Um, used mainly as a relief pitcher by the Rangers and then also traded later to Seattle and also Minnesota. From 2001 to 2009, his ERA was 5.43. And so for non-baseball players, what that basically means is for every nine innings that he pitched, he gave up five and a half runs that were counted to him, earned runs. Those are not numbers that keep you on a major league roster. They don't work. In 2010, Dickey signed with the New York Mets, and things were very different for him from then through his retirement in 2017. Uh, he also pitched for Toronto and Atlanta during those years. In his last eight years of his career, his ERA, ERA was 3.66. So instead of five and a half runs per nine innings, this was now three and a half runs per nine innings. A very good improvement. 3.66 ERA will keep you on a roster. 2012 was in particular a banner season for him. He pitched well enough, he was actually selected and pitched in the All-Star game. He ended up being named the Cy Young Award winner for the National League, which identified him as the best pitcher in the league for that year. So quite a, quite a year. And the reason for that change is that he had changed his pitching style in a very drastic manner. Now, many pitchers, many players will make adjustments through their career, improve whatever they may need to be or have improved. And for pitchers, it may simply be an arm angle, a hand angle, something generally small, minute, but having 
big effect on the pitch. For him, it was a brand new pitch. And, and some pitchers will add pitches to their repertoire. He added a knuckleball. A knuckleball is not a pitch that most pitchers will add. They'll pitch, they'll throw maybe a splitter, a slider. They'll, they'll do something like that, something that's similar to something they're already doing. This was drastic. This was different. And the reason he did it is the small tweaks were not going to work for Dickey to maintain his stature on a major league roster. He needed to make a drastic change. So he learned to throw a knuckleball, and he committed to throwing a knuckleball exclusively. Knuckleball pitchers throw knuckleballs 80 to 90% of the time. That's a commitment. It's a pitch that has no spin on it, and so it dances. If it does have a little bit of spin, results are not good for pitchers. Now, in any major league season, there may be one, if any, knuckleball pitchers that are active on a major league roster. Since 2000, I went back and looked. So this will be over the last 22 years. There have been a total of eight knuckleball pitchers in the major leagues. It's not an easy pitch to perfect. There are 84 pitchers in the major league hall of fame. Four of them are knuckleball pitchers. But to have any kind of chance of extending his career, R.A. Dickey had to change his style. And so to be a professional baseball player, he had to be reborn as a knuckleball. And so that's the type of message and command that what Corey read, Jesus was giving to Nicodemus. In John 3.3, 3, Jesus telling Nicodemus, if you wish to see and join in the kingdom of God, you must change your current status. You must be born again. So the first of my three questions, why do we need to be born again? And part of my answer to that is real simple. <laughs> Jesus said it. Jesus commanded it. He said it in verse 3, and he repeated it again in verse 5. You need to be reborn. Now, many Jews in the day of Nicodemus believed that since they were of the lineage of Abraham, God's chosen people of Israel, salvation and a place in the kingdom of God were already secured. The Enduring Word website refers to some rabbis of that time actually teaching that Abraham stood at the, hates of, at the gates of hell just to make sure that none of his descendants wandered that way, that they went the right way. Um, but, but this whole thought process makes an assumption that if you're born into the correct family, then you're guaranteed to be in. Salvation was taken care of, it was earned by who your relatives were. At that time, Jewish anticipation of the coming of the promised Messiah was also that it would be a new kingdom on earth and that the Jewish people would be in control. Rome would be taken down. Children of Israel would rule. And Jesus came and was communicating a very different view from that, a very different view of his coming 
and what salvation was. It's a spiritual decision and reward. It's a personal decision with Jesus Christ, not based on family. Salvation didn't hinge upon who your grandparents or your parents were. Nicole C. Mullen uh, was a, a, a Christian singer. She released a song back in 2000 called Granny's Angel. And in, in the uh, song, one of the bridge, she said, the truth of the matter is God didn't have any stepchildren. He has no grandchildren, only sons and daughters. And I, I, I can't remember ever hearing reference to God as grandpa. God is our father. We are sons and daughters of his. Now, when, when we were born into this world physically, we were born as sons and daughters of Adam. Sinful, prideful, able to be envious of others and what they have, what they do. Good things that happen to them. Prone to anger. Tendency for selfishness. And in Romans 3.23, Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that's us. But rebirth in Jesus Christ, and only that rebirth, is what gives us entry into the family of God. Without being born again, we will follow our own selfish desires to damnation. Rebirth in Jesus Christ allows us to experience his love, his grace, his mercy here on earth and then also for eternity. That's the family of God. Second question. How are we to be reborn? In uh, Acts 2, verse 38, Peter's speaking to the people and he says this, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent, be baptized, believe in the name of Jesus Christ, have faith in him, and accept his forgiveness for our sins. And it sounds so simple. And it is. Except it can be a very big challenge to recognize that we're the ones that need to be saved. We need to be the ones to repent. We sin. We need to ask for forgiveness and then accept that forgiveness with gratefulness, thankfulness. And it's real tempting to be looking at somebody else and saying they are the ones who need to repent and be reborn. Not me. Um, just the last couple of weeks, there was a Facebook posting that I saw, kind of a, a poster. And I'm going to read this a couple times. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant, and accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life, to die to self and live for him. His call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. And I'm going to read that again because it, this resonates with me. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant, and accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life, to die to self and live for him. 
His call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. And I agree with that. But I also think about the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14. So I'll give you a quick version, a quick review of what that parable in Luke 14 is. In that parable, Jesus spoke of a certain man who was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. He sent his servant out to invite his guests. And people kept making excuses not to attend. First one was needing to go check a field that he had purchased, so I couldn't come. Second one needed to go try a team of oxen that he had purchased. He couldn't come. Third man had just gotten married. Couldn't come. And so the man preparing this banquet then sent his servant out to the roads and the country lanes to invite anybody who wanted come and eat. So in the parable, I see Jesus inviting us to come and eat. But can we be too busy to respond? Can we be distracted? Can we have our own agenda that takes priority to being called in eating and fellowshipping with God? Can we sometimes make excuses to join him? Are our eyes blind to repentance that we need to offer to him? So reflecting on that post, I'll say this. It doesn't matter who we are whether we're in these walls at Yellow Creek or on the country lanes and the roads that are referred to in the parable, God's calling every one of us to a changed and fruitful life to die to self and live for him. That's how we're reborn. Changed and fruitful life, die to self, live for him. So my third question then, what does the rebirth look like? And for this, I want to go back to a bit of what Corey read, Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And so God gave Abraham a command. He said, go, leave what you currently know. Leave your country. But in the same breath, he also gave Abraham a promise. Basically saying there's something new that's going to be happening and I will bless you as that happens, as you step out in faith and follow what I'm asking you to do. God was definitely taking Abraham in a new direction that required trust and obedience. And in today's world, we are so much more mobile than ever before especially compared to those biblical days. You know, our children move to other towns, other states, maybe even other countries to work, to raise their families. But in those days, leaving one's homeland was an incredible process of stepping out in faith and beginning something that was incredibly new. And it was not commonly done. But verse 4 simply says, so Abraham went. He obeyed God. He trusted God. He responded in faith. 
Now, for all the faith that Abraham is credited for, there, there were some shortcomings of his along the way. Um, one reference that I, I ran across even referred to Lot coming with him wasn't fully leaving family behind. And Lot created a little bit of challenge later on as well. Abraham and Sarah, with the promise of a great nation, got a bit impatient as they weren't able to have children quickly enough. And so Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, was given to Abraham, resulting in the birth of Ishmael. And, and there's, there's still conflict today that results from that act. Abraham lied on a couple of, ca- of occasions with his relationship with Sarah to protect, protect himself from potential harm. So Abraham wasn't perfect, but he stepped out in faith and he followed God's calling. Leaving the land of Ur was the birth of a new nation. The Israel nation was born. A new identity was born in that step. And, and that's exactly what being born again is. It's the creation of a new identity. Now, in the United States, we have various proofs of identification, common ones required and available that that we have, a driver's license, a social security number, birth certificate, a passport. At work, you may have a a tag to get you in and out of doors. That's identification. And there have been times when those means of identification have been altered to create a new identity for somebody to pose as a different person. Uh, Catch Me If You Can is the title of a 1980 book and a 2002 movie about Frank Abagnale. In the book and the movie, uh, Abagnale kind of responds to this. There was a false identity that he continued to kind of create. He reportedly posed as an assistant state attorney general in Louisiana, as a hospital physician in Georgia, as a pan-American world airways pilot. But being born again is not posing. It's not fake. Being born again is a matter of accepting and embracing a new identity in Jesus Christ. It's intentional, it's a commitment, and it is something different than this world is accustomed to and that that we have a tendency to fall into and follow. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul explains this. He said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And in this verse, Paul is referring to the old ways of doing things, the old way of living, the old way of identity, my way. But from 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul also says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in Galatians 2.20, he 
He claims this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life, and I, this was part of a song that I grew up singing, and I always thought it was a tongue twister. But breaking it down. The life which I now live in the flesh, the life I now live on earth, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I'm not living on my own accord. I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul was committing to. I am crucified with Christ. It's claiming a new identity in Christ. Becoming a new creature. Living by faith in Jesus. Not the flesh. And because of the grace he has given us. Not by our own strength. Because of the love he has for us. Empowering us by his spirit. Repenting of my sins daily. Praying diligently and with passion for his holiness. And his spirit to fill me. Spending time with God's in multiple ways. Singularly on my own. But also in community. With groups of fellow believers. Denying myself. All my desires and self-seeking thoughts given over to him and committing myself to his kingdom, to the family of God. And these are ways of living out being born again. Actively seeking out those around me in need of conversation and friendship. Giving me eyes to see those that are lonely and in need. Who needs a cup of coffee? Who needs to meet for lunch? Who needs a conversation? A hug? Or a conversational hug? Reaching out to those around me with confidence that his wisdom is guiding me in that conversation and is present with me and with the individual I'm ministering to. Because it's very likely they're going to be ministering back to me as well. Letting the fruit of the Spirit flow through me to others to fill the community. That's what being born again looks like. So back to R.A. Dickey. I made it sound as if that transition to throwing a knuckleball was easy. His statistics improved drastically. He was named to the All-Star team. He was named Cy Young Award winner, best pitcher in, in the league that year. But it wasn't as easy as I kind of let that be assumed. After committing to throw the knuckleball for his main pitch, in 2006, Dickey came back th up through the minors and made his first appearance in the major leagues, second week of the season, and he lasted three innings. And in those three innings, he gave up six home runs. He shares a major league record. Six home runs in a game. Not the type of record that you really want to have as a pitcher. And the very next day, he was sent back to the minors. But he believed in what he was doing. He committed to throwing the knuckleball. It was the right thing for him 
with a baseball career, and it did lead to success. He stayed the course, and success followed. Being born again, whether it's a baseball pitcher or within our spiritual walk, doesn't mean we walk the rest of our lives perfectly. But it does mean we walk faithfully, reborn into and committed to God's family, committed to following God. Being reborn is a matter of saying, I will claim the power of God to not stay where I once was. I will not allow the devil to lie to me and remove my eyes from Jesus, my Savior. I will embrace my new identity in Christ, even as I fail. And then I ask for God's forgiveness and I reclaim the power and wisdom that God has for me over and over and over again. King David wrote in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, said, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. He's the one who has given me new birth and a new identity. I need to claim that day after day after day. And sometimes in those days, I need to reclaim that hour after hour after hour and thank God for walking with me in that new identity. So I invite the team back up here.